almost to the end of the semester, we get into Puritan writings. Now, this is in a secular school English. We're getting into the Puritans' writings. We even get to read Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in English class. <laughs> now, you talk about being, I was thrilled. That's going to be really, really good for me. I'm, I'm going to enjoy that. All right. All right, chapter 6 of Galatians. Paul, as we looked at last week, <clears throat> gave us the, uh, uh, I guess you would say, the principles or attributes of the flesh and also the fruits of the Spirit. He gave us those 15 things that are involved in the flesh. Now, there's more than that, but those are basically the general topics they all fall under. And he gave us the fruit of the Spirit. He now, in chapter 6, will start illustrating that. In, his, in what he uh, gives to the Galatians, he will start telling them and explaining to them and give them some, some uh, real application to it, is what he's going to do. Well, after speaking about that, he's now going to illustrate what he really means by it. And he starts out and he says, Brethren, if a man overtaken is, be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one <coughs> excuse me, in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, least thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to, the, to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. For we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Only least they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they nor themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. For God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For I, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to the rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul mentions in the first verse, he calls them brethren. In, in his whole letter, he calls them brethren. He was talking to the Christians, the Galatian Christians. He says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, 
uh, fault here is the sin or a trespass or something that uh, falls in those categories, those 15 categories that Paul spoke about earlier in, in chapter 5. He says, If any man fall into a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of weakness. He says here, he says, if, if a brother and sister had fallen into a sin, it is our duty as mature Christians in the faith to restore them, to help them get back on track. It's not for us to criticize nor condemn them. You know, Christians are the worst people to kick a Christian when he's down. We do it all the time. To get them back on track, to help them in the meek spirit of meekness, that, that humbleness. He speaks, we need to be in that humbleness attitude. As he spoke in the fruits of the spirit earlier in chapter 5, we are to deal with them, we are to speak with them, we are to help them get back on that track in that meekness spirit. And that meekness doesn't mean we, we just uh, fall down and just tell them whatever they want. And that's, that's what they want. They want us to come to them and help them and, and tell them, well, here's what you need to do. Here's what you've got to do. That's not the way to do it. We need to go to them and give them scripture and show them what God has for them and why they're there. But he goes on to say, we don't do this in the meekness. He says, consider thyself, lest thou be tempted. I spoke last week about you know the attributes of these these sins that he talks about, um, this hatred and this variance and the emulation, this, you know, getting upset. You know, if we go to a brother that's, that's, that's fallen and has committed a sin, now we're talking brethren here. We're not talking about the world, okay? We're not talking about those who aren't saved. He's talking to those who are saved. He says if a brethren falls into a sin, it's our job not to go and criticize them and tell them they're wrong and do all the, you know, get into that situation where uh, they're going to hate us for what we say. They may, if we're telling them the truth, they may hate it, but we can't go and criticize them. We can't get into that, that, uh, that mindset that we need to, you know, like a child, tell them exactly what they will do, what they won't do, and on that, they're going to get upset with it. But he said we're to go to them because if we don't, if we go in a wrong attitude, we're going to fall into those same sins. We're going to be that same way. We're going to have that, that strife and that wrath. They're, they're going to hate us for what we say. He says, consider yourself that you don't fall yourself into those same fleshly sins. He says, now bear ye one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Bear another's burdens. We're not to go and take those burdens off their shoulders. But God gives our burdens for a reason. Uh, we have burdens on the shoulders. God is, is either testing us or he's giving him that for a reason, for our, for our strengthening and for our uh, um, getting into his word more, getting or trusting in him and having faith in him. But he says we are to burden with them. Uh, go to Romans twelve fifteen. Paul says it perfectly in twelve fifteen. He says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. When we go and see somebody that in in, has fallen in that sin, if, if it's a torment to them, 
you know, we, we need to feel that too. That's our relationship that we should have with them. We should, we should have such a relationship with them that we can talk to them and still feel that same pain that they feel. Because we, we may have gone through that. And, and that's one of the reasons God gives us these, these trials in our lives and we get through them, we can help someone else. We can help them deal with the problems that they're having. He said we, we are to bear one another's burdens. We're not to take it off their shoulders. We're not to do it for them, but we're to help them. We're to help them. When Moses, uh, I think it was Moses, no, was it Moses or Elijah? He was on the mount, and he was praying, and they had to hold up his arms. Okay? They were helping him. They weren't, they weren't doing it for him, but they were helping him. They were holding up his arms. And that's what Christ, or Paul is saying here. He says we are to, to be in that meekness to help them get out of these burdens if we can, but if not, at least be there for them to help strengthen them, help give them that faith in Christ. And he says if we do this, we are going to fulfill the law of Christ. Turn over to Galatians 5.14. We were just over there last week. 5.14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is what he means by this burden. We to help them think, to, to help them with that burden. We're to bear it for them or with them. Okay? And if we do that, then we are fulfilling the law of God, the law of Christ. We are doing what Christ would have done. He goes on to say, he says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is a big one. This is, this, is, this is the one where, you know, look at me, I did that. I'm somebody, right? You know, we have, a, we have a lot of basketball players and football players that think they're something because they get paid millions of dollars a year to play football or basketball, Right? I, I was reading today, y'all know who Dennis Rodman is? You know, the guy with all the tattoos and thinks he's something. You know, he, he's a big friend of North Korea's imp, or, uh, tyrant, you know? But he said today, he come out and said that he's going to go over to Russia and he's going to convince the Russians to release that woman basketball player. Good luck. He thinks he's something. He thinks he can go over and do that. Well, that, and that's what he did. He, he, if a man thinks he is something, he is really nothing. But we are nothing. We are a speck on this planet. What we do, if we're in the world and we're doing it, it means nothing. If we're doing it for Christ, if we're doing it for things of Him, we won't have that up to the attitude. We won't be that arrogant to think we're somebody. Paul says if a man thinks he is something when he is nothing, he's not saying he may think he's nothing, but he is nothing. That's it. He is nothing. He deceives himself. Dennis Rodden deceiving him thinks he can walk into Russia and, and think he can just convince them to let that girl go. He thinks he can walk into North Korea and tell them to put down all their weapons. You know. These are arrogant people he's talking about. And he's dealing with the Judaizers. He's been dealing with all through this letter. And that's who he's talking about. They think they are somebody. 
because they're trying to convince the Galatians to do what they want done. He said, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself. Prove does not mean that here it is. See what I've done? And when he says prove, he means to examine yourself. Examine your works. Examine the, or test your works to see if they are biblical, if they are Christ-founded. He said, but every man shall prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. If, if, if we go out and we do, you know, I, I spoke to you last week. I said something about, you know, I, I've been in a church recently where they had these award plaques hanging on their walls because they were given an award by a local diocese or a local whatever they're connected to for their attendance growth for each year. But that's what they look forward to. That, that's, that's what they want. They, they want to grow their attendance so they can win them awards. God said it's not about that. He said if we prove our works and our works are biblical and good, he said we'll rejoice over it but in ourselves. It is not to us to come out and say, Tony, I got five people saved last week. You know that? Hey, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, they're good. No. That's in us. That's not to be plastered all over the news. It's funny how Facebook now, you know, people say, oh, I got a bun on my toe. So? They plaster it everywhere. You know, they, oh, I got a splinter in my finger today. Look at this. And they put pictures on Facebook. Nobody cares about your splinter. They don't. That's arrogance. They're, they're just, you know, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, you know, if your grandkid does something wonderful and you take a picture, watch this, watch this, this is cool. That's fine. You're not boasting in yourself. You're boasting on your grandchild. And what grandparent don't do that? Tell me, yeah, what grandparent don't boast on the grandkids? Okay. <laughs> but he said, let every man prove his work. Is it biblical? Is it in Christ? And if it is, you can rejoice, rejoice in yourself. Don't rejoice in the world. Don't rejoice to everybody else, but rejoice in yourself alone and not in another. Why did he say not in another? we get down to this in, in verses uh, 11 and so, we're going to see that these Judaizers were working to convince these, these uh, uh, Gentile saved Christians to be circumcised for their self or for the Christian, for themselves. They were working to get glory for themselves. He's going to talk about that here in a minute. But he says it's not for another. We're, we're not to glory because we help somebody get saved. That's between us and God. If that person wants to go out and, and, and tell about what you did to them, that's up to them. That's not between you and God. That's theirs. Okay? Then he says every man shall bear his own burden. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't that contradict number two? Where it says we're to help, right? 
we are to bear one another burdens? No, it doesn't. What it does, it emphasizes it. It, it. it works right with it. It says, every man shall bear his own burden. We are to carry our own burden. If somebody was helping us with it, that's fine. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. But, if Gael is in a problem and I want to go and help him with his burden, I'm going to help bear that burden for him. You know what? I'm not the one answering for it. He is. I'm not the one that's going to answer to God for his burden. He's still going to answer for it. I'm just helping him get through it. I'm helping him carry that burden. Okay? Every man shall bear his own burden. We will pay what we reap or what we sow, we will reap. That's basically what he's going to say here in a minute. We will bear our own burden. We will answer for and receive the rewards or consequences of our actions even if we do not even if we do get or give help to bear one another. We're going to help others, but we're not going to be responsible for what the consequences are. Okay? Unless, of course, we are teaching and preaching them wrong. If we're giving them the wrong doctrine, the wrong advice, our advice should come from God. Starting with verse 6, it's where he gets into sowing and reaping. That him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. This verse... Basically, Paul is talking about, he's going to be talking about himself, about his preaching, about his giving the word out. The idea of the communication is to share or distribute, to help give it out. What pastor preaches up here on Sunday mornings and in Sunday school and any other time he preaches, we're to take that not only to ourselves, but to other people. We're to help distribute that. We're to help share that. Nowadays, we have the cameras to do that, to share it on Facebook and, and all the streaming media. But he says we are to uh, communicate. Who, that he who is taught in the word, communicate unto him that is teacheth in all good things. He's talking about God's ordained ministers. Those God has ordained to preach and teach the word, he said it is our duty as Christians, as born-again Christians, saved, family of God, to take care of them. I, my personal belief, now this is, uh, this is up to you guys, I'm just going to give my personal belief, that the man who God is appointed in the church to be the pastor of that church, the overseer, should not have to work a second job to keep feeding his family. That should be on the church. That should be his local church to be taking care of that. He should not have to work a second job to pay for his take care of himself. Now, if he's trying to live a life with a half million dollar home and five cars and a cattle ranch, you know, maybe there's something else going on there, right? We used to have a, we used to have a, a, a missionary come in once in a while. He was a good preacher, don't get me wrong. I liked the guy. But it always bothered me when he would pull up in his Cadillac wearing his Armani suits, his alligator cowboy boots, and his Rolex watch. Don't get me wrong, God blesses, but he doesn't like showing of it. Okay? But it used to bother me. He's not around here anymore, so it, it don't bother me no more. 
But he says, let, every, let him that is taught in the word communicate to, to the teacher that is the good things. If we are being taught by Pastor Joe these things, we're to also communicate them back out. Take them back to somebody else. There's millions of people out here who've never heard it. Be not deceived, he says. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. Now the word mocked here is basically in the sense that, you know, you can't hide from God. You're going to commit a sin. Don't expect God to turn his face. He's not going to do that. Don't, don't think that God is going to uh, see you in your dark room doing whatever you do in there. Pastor's got a book. He started with the men's ministry back here on Friday mornings. It's called The uh, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man. And... Uh, <clears throat> he got through the first verse or first chapter part of it. Well, I got the book. I've already gone to the third chapter, so I'm gonna be ahead of when we get in there. But it's about a man that uh, may deal with the women too. But it's about a man and the disciplines that the man has to have in his life. Uh, do you get up every morning at the same time? Do you get up every morning at the same time, Dale? Do you, Richard? Pretty much. What about, do you, you get up the same, that's a discipline. I wake up every morning, either 5.30 or 6, in between there somewhere. Sometimes I'll set my clock for 7, but it doesn't make any difference. I wake up at 6 o'clock, so I might as well get up, right? The disciplines we do. He talks about the disciplines of, of students going to college. And they get up and they have to go to class and, and they do this. Or some of them just walk on and do whatever they want. You know? We talked about those disciplines. But he says here, God's not going to be mocked. He is not going to look over your shoulder and say, I didn't see that. He's not going to, he, he's not going to stop and, and say, well, it ain't that bad, so I'm not going to make, pay no attention to it. You ever had a child, you tell them to do something, they look, you go, huh, yeah, right, sure, whatever. You know what they're doing? They're mocking you. They're not obeying, they're not doing what they were told to do. They're mocking you. God won't have it. God is gentle, God is love, God is, is merciful and graceful. But God's also wrath. And the rewards he gives may not be the rewards we want. He won't be mocked. He won't be, he won't be you know, tricked into believing one thing when you're doing it. God's not going to be mocked over it. He says he will not be mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. And, and a, lot, a lot of times we take that out of context, but it pretty much means what it says. If you're going to commit sin, you're going to answer the consequences. Maybe not now, maybe not on this earth, but you may up there. We go through the scripture, and pastors spoke about it, and we've heard it all the time. The rewards that we are gathering up that are heavenly rewards, every time we commit a serious sin, guess what? I believe one of them is taken away. He says that what we sow here on this earth, we will reap. If, if, if we are 
going out and, and teaching and preaching and, and sharing the gospel with people, and people were getting saved, that's what we're supposed to do, right? He's going to say this in a minute. What if we have that opportunity and we don't do it? What do you think happens? Somebody's going to answer for that, right? <coughs> Excuse me. If you go out and you have an opportunity to talk to someone or to, to give them the gospel, and you know it, I mean, I, how many times we've gone out and I've gone out and I've, I, there's somebody right there and I can talk to them. I, it's so imp- simple to just walk over there and say, hey. And did I do it? No. And I felt bad all day long. I did. I, it just, it just, it, the Holy Spirit just will deal with you about it. God will not be mocked. And whatsoever we sow, we will reap, whether it be good or bad. For he that soweth to the flesh shall reap flesh corruption. Our flesh will see that corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's our reward. Life everlasting. It's our reward. Verse 9, he says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we, not, we faint not. I, I read this, I'm thinking of uh, a, a hard-working person. You know, we got a guy that lives down the road from us. His name's Frankie. I've only known him since me and Brenda have been married, but Brenda known him before that. And I think he may be a, he's a little bit younger than her. But he works a full-time job, and he runs the cattle. And he's either out there mowing that hay down, he's either feeding that cattle, he's either taking care of that cattle, he's doing something on his farm at all times. I don't know when that guy sleeps, because you can see him out all day long. And we'll have, we had a, a, a few years ago, we asked him to redo the fence row behind our house. He went into work. He came over at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon and had that thing done, and it was probably 400 yards, long fence. He had it done by 8 o'clock. He worked hard. You can tell a man with his calluses on his hand. And he's done that. Brenda said he's done that since he was 5 years old. Him and his brother, his daddy had that farm. His, him and his brother would go out and work the tractor. They weren't long, tall enough to reach the pedals. Frankie would sit up here with the steering wheel. His brother would work the pedals. The two of them worked that pedal on that tractor. If you've ever worked a tractor, them pedals are way down there, you know. But they worked hard. And this is what I, I see here. I see, you know, if in due season, we're going to reap if we do not faint. If we don't stop what we're supposed to be doing. If we keep doing that and not be worried about it. There's so many pastors today that are leaving the ministry because they're tired, they're weary. And I understand that. From what I can see of Pastor Mike and Pastor Joe and Pastor Edson and all those, there's a lot of work being a pastor. Not everybody can do that. I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm not made for that. God didn't train me to be that. He trained special men. He ordained special men to be those pastors because there's a lot of work in it. I've seen, a, I've seen several. I know a couple, 
went into ministry, became pastors of churches for four or five years, and then just dropped out. Went on back to a full-time job and didn't think about it again. Why did you get into it in the first place? He said, for in due season we shall reap if we do but faint. What's that season? When we leave here. God either takes us home by death or he takes us home out of the rapture. As we have or therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Let us do what is right to all men. Those, those fruits of the Spirit he's talking about. He said, we got the opportunity, let's do good to all men. But look what he says. Also, or especially, unto them who are of the household of faith. If I've got J.L. here, and I've got John Brown that lives down the road, and he's hurting, he needs some food for his family, I, no problem. I, I'll go out there and feed him. Okay? I'll, I'll give him some food, I'll buy him some food, I'll help him feed his family. J.L. stand over here, J.L. is sick, he can't get out and do anything, his family can't do anything, guess what? I can help this guy, but I'm supposed to help him. Especially the brethren of the household of faith. Especially them. We don't, we don't go out and help the world and leave our own brothers and sisters to be on their own. That's not the way it goes. Okay? If we've got brothers and sisters in need, we're to lift them up. He goes on in verse 11 through 18. He gets into our crucifixion of this world. He even says it to himself. But he says that, Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Paul usually wrote or, or dictated to a secretary of some sort, someone who write down what he needed said. But because of this situation he was in, he couldn't do that. There, there was nobody there to do that. <coughs> And, you know, we spoke about it a few weeks back. Paul had an eye condition that almost had him blind. He, he just couldn't see very well and had to had deal with that. So in this, in this passage, uh, I don't, I guess he, he's trying to help them understand why the letter he's writing them looks so large. It's only six chapters and it's, it's one letter. I mean, we would think, Six chapters of putting together his Bible, that's me words, would be a long letter, wouldn't it? I know me, me and Haley, Haley just went through her first week of English, and she had to write an essay. I have no idea what an essay is, or I didn't. And the teacher was going, okay, first you do is you write an outline, or you take your topic, and then you write your, and, and this, is, this is different because if they, it's an argumentative essay. So we had to take a topic, and the topic was, should schools go to a four-day school week? And a lot of schools are doing that, but that was the topic. But we had to do a, that, our position, three reasons why. Then we had to do an outline. Then you had to do a draft. Then you had to do a rough draft. Then you had to do a final draft. We ain't done the essay yet. We're still getting on these. <laughs> okay. Not me, I had no idea. Okay? But he, Paul is writing here, he had an eye element, and he's writing, his letters were very large. He was writing in big, large letters. It would be like writing on a screen, you know, right like this. 
So his letter, and this, this is what he's saying. And I guess he, I don't know the reason why he would say that, but we have it. And so he tells them, he said, you see how big a letter? He's taken the pain to write it himself, not taking somebody else to do it. He says, many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Only least they should suffer persecution for the Christ, cross of Christ. Here is the Judaizers he's talking about. These Judaizers are desiring to make these Galatians a fair show for themselves in their flesh. They want to, uh, we talked about the whole thing through this letter of Paul's where he, he's, he's trying, you know, the Jews that have been saved, they're trying to get them to go back to the old Jewish traditions and ways and trying to do, make the Galatians do the same things. Well, they didn't have anything to do with it in the first place with the Jewish laws. He said, these men or these people, these are desiring to show fear in your flesh. They constrain you to be circumcised. They're trying to convince you to go back and be circumcised. Only at least they should suffer persecution. Because if they don't go, if they go back and say, well, we couldn't convince them, guess what? They're going to be persecuted by their own people. <clears throat> he goes on to say, for neither they themselves are who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire you to do it. It'd be like pastor getting up here, reading the commandment, Ten Commandments, and saying, you guys need to do that, but not me. That's what Paul is talking about, these Judaizers. He, he's, he's getting to the point, he's closing out this letter, he's summarizing everything that he'd been teaching through this letter and telling them, he said, neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. He said, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. What did we read down there a while ago? Where he said, uh, uh, verse 4, he said, let, not every man, let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoice in himself alone and not in another. That's what these Judaizers were doing. They were trying to get these Gentiles and these saved uh, Jews to go back, or the, at least these Gentiles, because Jews are probably already circumcised, but get these Gentiles to go and be circumcised by convincing them that they was part of your salvation, that you need to be circumcised. And he said only because they could glory, because they got you in your flesh to do it. <clears throat> I won't get into it, but there's a, there's a there's a legend of of uh, of the Jews. I don't know if it's true. I haven't really looked it up, but the legend is that for every Gentile that they got to be circumcised, they kept the foreskin. They kept it on the rope so they could prove how many they got circumcised. That's just a legend. I don't know if it's true or not, but it may be. But that's what the Judaizers wanted to do. They wanted to get the Gentiles to go and be circumcised so that they could glory, that they got them to do that in their flesh. Okay? But God forbid that I, he says, should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Paul says, I do not glory in myself, I glory in Christ alone. 
Paul did not go out and preach and teach and, and, and get persecuted so that he could glory on his own works. He says, I glory in the cross of Christ. He said, but God forbid that I should ever glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't look for any personal glory. He didn't look for any rewards other than that what Christ gave to him. That was his glory. That should be all of our glories. But we're tied up in ourselves too much. We should only glory in what Christ should, has done for us, what Christ is doing for us. He said, by whom the world is crucified. He said, I'm crucified to this world. Paul had nothing to do with any earthly stuff that didn't pertain to him. If he needed food, yeah, he went and bought food. If he needed a place to sleep, he went and got a place to sleep. But he didn't go out and buy a brand new car just so he could get around quicker. He didn't go out and buy a new donkey so he could get around quicker. Okay? He said, the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Paul had nothing to do with the world except for what had to be done. And that was live in it. He says, I glory, I don't glory in myself, I don't glory in the things I do. He says, except for what Christ did. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. Circumcision means nothing. Uncircumcision means nothing. He said, but a new creature. He said, we are to be a new creature in Christ. That's what pertains to it. Someone once said, I think I got it written down here. Yeah. That again, cruci- uh, circumcision availeth nothing. It means nothing. What is crucial is becoming a new creature in Christ. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the bottom line. John 3, 3. The crucial thing that God sees is our new creation, our new nature what we have become in him. And to do that, we've got to let go of the world. We can't keep it. And as many as walk according to the rule, he says, he's closing out his, his letter here, he says, many as walk according to the rule, what rule is that? Christ's rule. Okay. He said, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. And Paul is not saying that they are Christians. He's not saying that they are new creatures in Christ. They weren't, unless they come and got saved. But he says he's still blessing them. This is a blessing from him. He Peace be on them that walk after the rule, that walk as a Christian, walk in the Spirit, mercy unto them, and upon the Israel of God. Israel is still God's chosen people, whether saved or unsaved. They're still his people. He chose them from the beginning. He chose them. They're still his. <clears throat> from henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul basically says right here, he says, nobody has a right to challenge me on my apostate authority. Paul was chosen by Christ. He was taught by Christ. Nobody can challenge him on what he teaches or preaches. 
And he basically saying those Judaizers ain't got nothing on me. They can't do anything. <clears throat> Paul, Paul preached the gospel, the doctrine of grace. He says, nobody has anything to say on me. They have no way to challenge me. He said, look at me. He said, my body holds the marks of Christ. Paul was beaten. Paul was put in prison. Paul has a thorn in his side. We're not sure what that is. But he holds in his body, he says, those marks, those scars of persecution for the cross of Christ. He says, that's my credentials. And nobody can test them. Can't go any further. Finish out, he says, brethren, and giving them another blessing here, he said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We should say that to each one of us, each other. Grace of God be with you. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Paul finishes his letter to the Galatians. Paul's closing letter with that blessing. I think that's what we should say to each and every one of us. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I, I read a lot of Puritan stuff. I read a lot of stuff before that. I, I, read, I read stuff all the way back to 4th and 5th centuries we can find, if they're still in print. Because I, I, like, I like to know the history of Christianity. I like to know the history of the church. And, you know, and back in the 16th, 15th, 16th centuries, when a Christian greeted one another, they greeted, the Bible says it, they greeted with a brotherly kiss. But they would also greet them with a grace, with a blessing. Uh, you would go into the house. I think Spurgeon did this a lot. Every time he went into someone's house, he would say, Lord, bless this house as we enter. He wanted to make sure it was blessed when he walked in there. Because if it didn't, he would probably walk right back out. Okay? But he would always give a blessing. And this is what Paul is saying. Grace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ to your spirit. Any questions? Any comments? We're done with Galatians. <laughs> it was an easy one. Did anybody have any ideas what they'd like to go into? Any books you'd like to look at? We can study. You want to leave it up to me? <laughs> okay. All right. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for just helping us to see your word and understand your word. Lord, I, I pray that I, I, go, I gave you glory and honor in doing so. Father, tonight we just pray we ask for a blessing. We ask for help for those who need it, both physical and, and uh, mental, and, and just uh, a blessing upon them, Father. Lord, tonight, help us as we go about our way. Help us with our week. Uh, give us blessings. Lord, we thank you for the rain. We do ask you, Father, that uh, it helps to uh, grow the crops and, and do what's supposed to be done with it. Help us to be a blessing to each and every one, especially to the brethren the house of faith. We love you and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.